Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you don't have to share your snacks. It is the month of September, and our selection this month is Angie Kim's novel, Happiness Falls. It is told from the point of view of Mia, a college student who goes home during the lockdown era of COVID. She moves back in with her twin, John, her working mom, Hannah, and her dad, Adam, who stays at home to take care of their younger brother, Eugene, who is a teenager who's got autism and doesn't talk. One day, Adam and Eugene leave to go on a walk, but only Eugene comes back. He's got blood under his fingernails and he's unable to tell anyone what happened. And the more the family looks for Adam, the more secrets they uncover. That is all I am going to say for now because this is your spoiler warning. If you have not read the book and you don't want to know what happens, you should go listen to our spoiler-free author interview with Angie Kim, which is in the feed. If you have read the book or you are just like a spoiler fiend, welcome. We are glad to have you. I am so excited to introduce you to this month's guests. With us, we have NPR host Elise Hugh. Elise, hello. Hello. It's so great to be back. Yay. Also here is the head of the audio program for Northwestern's journalism program, Ariane Nettles. Ari, hello. Hi, Greta. Okay. So I would love to dive in and talk about and start with the COVID of it all, because I Mm. don't know about y'all, but like over the last several years, of course, I've read a variety of novels now Mm. that have had COVID to like varying degrees of centerpieces. And I think this might have my favorite treatment of it, where it is like almost just a very convenient device for kind of bringing everyone together and forcing them into the same space. What did you think, Ariane? Did that work for you, too? Yeah, it did. So it, it felt really authentic, too. So, you know, we have it where it may be certain plot points, but it didn't feel forced. It's not like it's being used to ensue this kind of fear. Like, there's all these things going on. And honestly, COVID was not the scary part of it you know it's just kind Mm. of like it was just that was just what was happening right like around this time people are going to have on masks you know you're going to like not see people's full faces you know you're going to have people being COVID exposed and we still had COVID tracing so it's like you know it actually kind of made me I don't want to say miss it, but I actually it made me remember some of the precautions that we had that we don't have mm. anymore. You know, like yeah. now yeah. you don't know who you've been exposed to, you know, or mm. how long you would have to um, that you would actually get time to kind of like 
isolate and now we don't have that anymore. Yes. <laughs> I do miss those days, actually. I do miss that. Yeah. You're right. You're right. That's really funny. What did you think about it, Elise? There is a real specificity to that time. Mm-hmm. You know, there were all those little details that she had to mention about. Well, first of all, the entire premise of the book is that they're all together as a family, right. despite yeah. the fact that the twin brother and sister were already college aged. They were home or she was home from her college that was kind of farther away because colleges had shut down or or there was going to be a semester that was online. Um, so the rhythm of our lives had changed, right? And we kind of got into routines because we were closed off. And this family at the start of the story w- had really gotten into a routine and it seemed like such a happy, loving family. That And, and, and we get into, obviously, the complexities of all of that and having um, a son with a disability or kind of complex disabilities. And and, mm. and I just, it felt like a period piece, mm. <laughs> except it, yeah. it's hard to get wrap wrap my head around just how recent this all was Ugh. and how drastically our lives sort of collectively have shifted over the course of the past few years. No kidding. So I had the great pleasure of getting lunch with Angie a couple months ago, and she <gasps> talked about how um, one of the big criticisms that she had seen so far of the book. There were two. One was about the footnotes. She thought like people were annoyed by the footnotes. I love footnotes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Angie, if you're listening, I love the footnotes. It's very David Foster Wallace of you. <laughs> and I learned so much from them. Me too. Exactly. We actually got two voicemails about the footnotes. Let's listen. Hey, this is Liz from Roseville, Minnesota, calling about Happiness Falls. Um, the footnotes in a fiction novel, I think that might have been just brilliant. I wish all fiction novels had footnotes, um, especially because it's the way I think. And so I just really felt like I related to her. This is Christine Wiggins. Um, I'm in Denver, Colorado. I don't think you can talk about Happiness Falls without talking about the footnotes. I feel like I had a lot of mixed feelings about them like especially when the plot was building and I just really wanted to know what was going on uh, with Eugene and uh, where their father was. I was like, I cannot be bothered to read this really long footnote right now. Maybe related to the footnotes, Angie also said she was worried people might just like generally think that people thought Mia was too annoying, which I thought was really funny because, you know, and I talked to Angie about this, like in my other interview with her too. It's like, that's kind of the point of me. Like she becomes pretty self-aware of her own annoyingness over the course of the book as well. I thought I loved her. I thought the voiciness of this book was such a pleasure. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. (laughs) I have to get my back up about, about about characters being described as annoying because it's like, (laughs) Um, I I don't know that you should critique the author or the book for it because Mm -hmm. it's a character, you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and she's a complex character. And then I also love, I think Angie Kim does such a great job of getting us in her head, like in Mm -hmm. Mia's head and the vacillating and the sort of debate that she has with her own self about her own ambition. I loved the reckoning with ambition and ambition with happiness Mm. and whether and these questions about how we reconcile ambition with happiness, because obviously her her father was thinking it all the way through, too. And it felt authentic that she would kind of go back and forth in her head that it's this really, really smart 
girl who knows that people would see her as annoying and she's aware of that and that she knows she's kind of a cynic with certain things and she's aware of how people view her and so she's trying to balance how people see her with how she kind of feels is her true self and I think that we can kind of see that right and maybe because I think I mentally do that sometimes like sometimes I'll be talking and I'm like I really want to keep talking but I'm gonna stop because I think that people don't want me to still be talking like they're gonna think that I'm talking too much so I'm gonna stop I really have more to say but I'm gonna stop because I've been Mm -hmm. told that I talk too much yeah well I just totally relate too and then and then obviously there's the societal um, Mm -hmm. expectations and stereotypes right that women of color are somehow too much Mm -hmm. and not enough at Mm -hmm. the same time Mm -hmm. like you 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 have to walk such a fine line or uh, of acceptability and i think that mia being a um half korean um character mm-hmm, kind of yeah. has to toe the line mm-hmm. as well right and then she talks i really appreciated kind of the conversations or the plot points about how being asian is a proxy for being math loving mm-hmm. right but that was just a stereotype because asians were thought of as as robotic and then mm-hmm. being a black man was a proxy for mm-hmm. having criminal intent mm-hmm. and yeah. you know her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend what was the status of their (laughs) relationship i I don't (laughs) think they know yet (laughs) her boyfriend vic being a big black guy really complicated the dynamics Mm -hmm. of the story too Mm -hmm. gosh so much was packed into one book i know right it's wild to think about how much she manages to cover in this one and the fact too (laughs) that it's like sort of thrillery but still very literate like i just the genre space that she occupies with this too, I think is so deeply satisfying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that audiences have responded, you know, this, this book has done pretty well from what I can, from what I can tell. And Mm -hmm. I was at my local bookstore yesterday. It was very prominently placed. So people are liking it. You, you, she did not do too much as we're Mm -hmm. talking about Mm -hmm. Asians or women of color doing too much or not enough. She did not, Mm. she was not too much. It, It was just the perfect amount. Yes. I love that. Well, I think too, um, at least you're kind of hinting at this, that like the dynamics, there are a lot of varying racial dynamics in this book. And I think one that was also really interesting to hear Angie explore is the idea of these twins who one's a girl, one's a boy and how differently they present, you know, John looks whiter and therefore Mm -hmm. is treated very differently than she is. And, you know, like speaking of experiments, I think that's such a fascinating kind of control for her to see throughout her life too, you know? Yeah, especially when the family lived in Korea. So for a number mm-hmm. of years, the um, Parksons, or I guess it's Parson is the dad's last name, and mm-hmm. then Park is the mom's last name, and the kid's last name is Parkson. So I'll just call them the Parksons. Um, the Parksons were living in Seoul, and you know I lived in Seoul as, as the Seoul Bureau Chief for NPR for a number of years and found that exact experience with my white husband mm-hmm. because my white husband kind of got the benefit of the doubt every Everywhere he went, mm. whereas I, as an Asian woman, was the bottom of the totem pole in status mm. and was constantly getting kicked out of cabs because the cabbies didn't want to drive me or they misunderstood me and they didn't want to interpret mm. my my English or make sense of it. And where my where they made all of these um, 
accommodations accommodations for my husband constantly and so they saw that the twins in this book also saw that mm-hmm. and experienced it too mm-hmm. because she was she he the brother could pass as white and the the sister was read as asian and had all the complications of that I was surprised that they situated the story in Seoul because of the son with disabilities. Um, mm. Because those with disabilities, there aren't so many accommodations. There is no equivalent of the ADA, you know. Interesting. So. Huh. So, yeah, speaking of Eugene, Ariane, partly why, I mean, we invited you on because you are one of our favorite readers. But also you have a teenage son who has autism and is nonverbal. And I was so curious, especially to hear, I know you sent me a couple text messages over the past couple of weeks saying like, oh my gosh, Jackson does the same thing as Eugene when I'm like typing on my computer or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I just would be so curious to know, you know, having such a close relationship to someone who has some pretty similar conditions to Eugene, how it felt reading this book with that experience in mind. Yeah. So at first, I'm first reading it and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so well written and cute. Like, oh, Jackson does the same thing that Eugene does, right? Like, because mm. Jackson will show so much emotion with his eyes. Like, he mm. will kind of show when he's like, when I am, sometimes I'll be, you know, kind of babying him or doing something and he will kind of like with his eyes look at me like, come on, mom, like I am a teenager. <laughs> what is your problem? Yeah. You know, like yeah. get it together, lady. <laughs> or I am still a teenager. I'm going to go in my room and close this door on you because you're getting on my nerves. Right. So a lot of that stuff at first with Eugene, I saw as like, oh, my gosh, I see this behavior in Jackson. But then as I'm getting, you know, into the book and Mm. we're learning more about Eugene because he's starting to be able to express himself, I Mm. started to check myself more like, did you? Yeah, like, am I giving Jackson? Am I condescending? Yes, am I condescending? (laughs) Because I definitely like baby him a lot and I mean I know you know like when Anjali says to Eugene hey yeah well I'm 48 and my mom still babies me so I do know that part (laughs) of it is like he's my baby like my mom my brother is you know 25 and my mom is always like can you go over Trey's house and help him do you know like that's that's her baby (laughs) right and it's uh, you know that's her baby boy um but sometimes I'm like Maybe I could let him make this decision on his own, right? Like, he is older. Am I still, have I not allowed him to grow up in certain ways because I'm just so used to treating him a certain thing, right? Like, have I, like, like for example, can I just, shouldn't I be able to just trust that, you know, like with, like, little kids, you kind of figure out, okay, I'm only going to give you this amount of milk per whatever, right? But I'm like, okay, wait, Mm -hmm. but he's a teenager. Like, maybe I should just have the milk in the refrigerator and trust that he'll drink milk as he wants to, right? Like, he's not a toddler, even if he can't communicate that. So it made me kind of start checking myself a little bit more about Mm -hmm. how I trust him, even if I don't know if he could communicate as well as Eugene could. But even without that... I know that in his head, because a lot of times he will look at me and I can see it in his eyes where he's like, this fool is treating me like a baby 
And she should know <laughs> that I know more than what she is doing. That's the thing. Yeah, it's yeah. a real universal struggle, I think, yeah. with parents of able-bodied mm. and um, yeah. parents of, with of children with disabilities. Like, mm. how much do you r- sort of relinquish control and mm. uh, and how much freedom do you yeah. give your kids you know I trust my kids to walk to school uh some parents down the street who live on the same street will not you know yeah. like yeah. Mm. these sorts of decisions I, I think it's complicated and more complex um when you have uh children with disabilities but it's it, it it's pretty I don't know I, I I felt it I could relate and it was really resonant yeah. like the way Hannah regarded Eugene Hannah the mother re- mm-hmm. regarded her son well I think too like with the communication piece on top of all of it it's you know and and Angie's own like you see it through Hannah the mom like that comparison of being an English learner and how people just assume that you know even if you speak with an accent you must not be as smart as native fluent Mm -hmm. speakers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought that was a really interesting comparison too, because I mean, it, it seems very, very resonant. Yeah. That point about how Asians who speak with accents are labeled as those who speak with broken English, but Mm -hmm. for, you never say somebody who speaks with a French accent speaks with broken English, you know, (laughs) because having a French accent is favored, right? (laughs) It's European and it's considered more mellifluous. So it's interesting how these stereotypes um, break down. And I, I just thought, Angie did such a good job of sprinkling what was a really propulsive and compelling mystery Mm -hmm. um, with these social dynamics, too. It's like intersecting in so many different Mm -hmm. ways. It's a it's biracial kids. You know, it's a biracial family. It's also a family um, with a son with a disability. And I didn't I, I didn't ever think through kind of the way that we use language to even describe disabilities, right? Because it is, Eugene is described as nonverbal, but is it fair to say nonverbal? Like she says that technically he's just non-speaking, right? Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. not that he's not verbal as, as we saw in, (laughs) as we saw the story play out. Yeah, no, we did. So we did a lot of therapies around pointing at pictures or pointing Mm -hmm. at words, but never pointing Mm -hmm. at letters. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times and Jackson has never participated because every time (laughs) and this is all of the (laughs) and again, this is him. This is very much his personality is like. Listen, why would I point at these pictures? You absolutely know what I want. Like, don't yes. try to make me do this thing. Like, you, you, I take your hand, I show you what I want, and you're trying to make me learn some other language? No, I don't want to do it. But yeah. they've tried to do, like, like these, like, pegs boards where they put the photos on, the, they have these images on Velcro, and you're supposed to put them together. Like, you know, like, I want milk. And he's like, absolutely not. So it's usually, like, pictures and, like, kind of simple words that you can put together for sentence structures. And generally then, if you do that well, then they will kind of upgrade you to like a communication device where you can Mm. do that with like an iPad and then it'll even speak it for you. But Jackson is Mm. just simply not interested. That makes total sense. I think it's, I don't know. I think partly when one of the things that makes this book so fascinating is kind of that push and pull between Mm -hmm. like making sure Eugene is as comfortable as possible, not pushing him, but then also like 
figuring out how much potential there is. And, you know, with that balance, like that's got to be so complicated as a mm-hmm. caregiver. Yeah, you have to assume the best or assume the most out of him, but mm-hmm. then also not have so many expectations of him that you're pushing him too hard. And that is a real parallel to this notion of happiness and ambition mm-hmm. in our lives, too. Like, what do we expect out of life? What do we expect out of one another? All of these big thematic questions come to play in this book. Yeah. So how much have you two found yourselves thinking about the idea of quantifying happiness since reading it? I, I have been thinking about where we anchor a yeah, lot, yeah. right? There's a lot of confer, con- conversation in the book about baseline mm-hmm, and yeah. where we sort of bait, what our baselines are. Mm-hmm. Um, I did take to heart. So I host the Ted talks daily podcast yeah. and I watch about 700 Ted talks a year. <laughs> and one of the big takeaways <laughs> from many Ted talks is many Ted talks talk about happiness, right? Or fulfillment or living a more fulfilled life. And I I feel like I recall, but I've watched so many that they kind of all disappear into the aggregate (laughs) background. But I feel like I recall something about how um, happiness is obviously only momentary. There's that famous mad mad men line I think about all the time, which is why I don't seek happiness. And I seek kind of a wholeness and contentment instead, because the mad men line is something like. Um, you know what happiness is? It's the moment before you need more happiness. Mm. So our baselines shift. You just, you know, once you get the thing, then the baseline is now you haven't gotten the thing. Mm -hmm. And this book kind of circles around this notion that we should actually keep our expectations back to where the original baseline was. So such that everything that you've gotten since then is a gain. And that's really hard to remember. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I've been going through like my kind of going into my midlife crisis period. And mm-hmm. so I kept thinking like, okay, you technically probably have more than you've ever had before. Like even with whatever issues or drama or whatever, you know, like remember, you know, th- that thing when you're like, remember when you prayed for the things you have today you know like that's one of those instagram memes that you see people sharing all the time for sure yeah and so it's kind of like it's hard to get back there though right and but it's but it is worth thinking about it when you're like wow yes maybe you know i'm still not where i want to be but really do think about like how far you've come in a lot of different ways yeah and that was the that was the dalai lama quote i think that comes up in the book right about how the trick is to want what you have yes Mm -hmm. yes yeah I think it's interesting how much gratitude ends up playing into that conversation for me right because then you know as opposed to like the moving target of success and what that Mm -hmm. may look like it's Mm -hmm. so much more about yeah what I do already have and you know some days are definitely easier than others but they're there are always things to be grateful for, even if you don't have like the dream job yet or whatever it is. Girl, you get to read books for a living and oh, then I talk know. about them. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. No. <laughs> All right. More on Happiness Falls by Angie Kim in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. 
and listen to the Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So I want to go back to Eugene a little bit more because I just think he's such a fascinating conversation. I think Mm -hmm. this book does so much around sort of exploring ableism, which Mm -hmm. I think, especially this year, I feel like with book club, even we've had a couple, um, we did this book, the country of the blind. Was that only last month? God, Mm -hmm. it's a memoir from a guy who is slowly losing his vision and he has a pretty similar genetic um, disease to what I have, but mine is moving much more slowly. And partly it was just really fascinating to think about from the context of, of being comfortable talking about disability, because Mm. I feel like for me, it is still one of those underrepresented groups that I just feel, I still don't feel super comfortable talking about it. And so I, Partly, yeah, really Greta. Grateful. I haven't heard you identify, you know, as somebody with a disability, right? No, and I mean, I think there are so many fascinating layers to it because I think that's part of the deal with disability is that for people who don't have really obvious external disabilities, they don't have to disclose, right? Or they right. maybe don't want to disclose, and so I, you know, I think there are a lot of reasons why disability may not seem as visible as many other marginalized groups do. Yeah. Um, but I think it's so good to just be talking about it more and more and more because I think, I mean, you know, and this is something that came up in that book club conversation too, is like, if we are all lucky enough to age, we will all then like experience some form of disability in our lives. Mm -hmm. So to be able to discuss it and figure out how to manage it and deal with it is super important. And I think this book does such a fascinating job also navigating its own ableism, you know, especially these family members who work really hard to take care of Eugene. They adore him, but like they still can't totally wrap their heads around what he ends up being capable of. Mm -hmm. That and I mean, just the first revelation when there was the the Anjali, you know, the therapist's mm. notes where she takes notes of Eugene talking about each of his family members. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all yeah. such piercing truths yeah. about each of them. Right. It was like, my mom treats me like a baby. Yeah. My dad is skeptical of me. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I'm blocked with him. And then it was like, my brother is too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then my sister is just an unapologetic cynic. And I yes. think like all those truth bombs from him, mm-hmm. it, sh- it, it, it made me, hurt for for Eugene because he was so trapped and so intelligent um and and his and his family members who were all verbal highly verbal in fact didn't give him the benefit of the doubt yeah yeah and I know that there has been times where Jackson has done something and I've been like oh my gosh Jackson look at you and he has looked at me like duh like his his (laughs) facial expression has really like been like why are you so excited? You are you are the dummy for thinking that I couldn't do this thing. Right. And so and it made right. me and when I got to that part, I was like, oh, right. So like the part where um, Mia is like trying to like switch up stuff and trying to say like, hey, can you point out the photo? And he's just like, never mind. Like you're trying to test me. I'm I'm not going to play this game with you. Like right, right. Jackson has done that with me. Like I was trying to say like, hey, Jackson, pick 
which dinner, which thing you want for dinner? And he picked one, but he had never really done that before. So I like switched it up to try to make sure that he's saying that he wants that and not that he was just mm-hmm. picking the one closest to his hand. And he's like, and why are you playing games? Yes. With me? And he did it again when he. Yes. And his face was like, why are you playing games with me? Like, like I already I told I you I picked what I picked. I told you I wanted the meatballs. Now you're just wasting time. Like, what is your problem? And I was just like, I'm sorry. I, yes. I apologize. I'll go make them right now. I thought this was a really, really vivid exploration of the way we equate oral fluency yes. with intellect yes. and how wrong that is. Yes. And then I highlighted this line, the shame and outrage of being perpetually underestimated and misunderstood. Uh, yeah. I also think one theme that we haven't really talked about that you see throughout this book in a couple of different layers. I mean, one speaking of, you know, Eugene's truth bombs about everybody is just the <laughs> idea that you can never really truly know someone as well as you think you do. You know, I think about all yeah. the different kind of like the back and forth about Adam and like, was he going to abandon our family? Was he cheating on mom? Like all these different, how can we really know what is in this weird file? Like I thought that was explored really beautifully too. Yeah. And then we don't know our family members, the people you think you're so close to, right? Mm-hmm. Constantly the, the, the twins would do these mind melds or there were references to the mind melds. And then there was that moment of electricity where all three of them kind of had mm-hmm. a mind meld as they were Ugh. concocting their story. And, um, but I, there was some, there was some line at the end of a chapter where Mia admits it was like, there's a difference between what we were all thinking and, and what Eugene was thinking. Or something like that. So, mm-hmm. Or did we really know what he was thinking? Yeah, and I think because, like, you know, we're, we're in Mia's mind and we see how much she holds back. So you can assume that, like, mm-hmm. Adam is holding something back, too, right? Like, that there's only certain things, even about this happiness quotient, he might mention it every now and then, but he doesn't feel comfortable mentioning it, mentioning it to everyone. And so mm-hmm. we all have these things where we're like, people are going to think I'm weird if I say everything that comes to my mind. So generally, I'm going to kind of hold most of it back. And I, I try not to like, because, you know, we, we all know that autism is a spectrum, but I know that of course, generally, one of the things that is attributed to autism is is kind of a truthfulness that people mm-hmm. often have. Candor. Kind yeah. of like yeah. a candor where it's like, I'm not going to hold anything back. And right. so I wonder if, you know, with Eugene being like, yeah, this person thinks this, this person thinks that. I wonder <laughs> if... <laughs> There's no social filter. Yeah, right? yeah. If he's like, I'm just going to tell you what I think. I'm not going to pretend um, that I think anything different. I, I love that. So I think there were so many different... It was the, uh, There were all of the characters I thought were really beautifully wrought, and they were all relatable in different ways. But it made me wonder, for you two specifically, if there was a character that you did find like particularly re- relatable. I guess I'm curious, especially given the fact that both of you are moms. I I would have wanted to know more about Hannah, actually. So I didn't relate to Hannah as much as I related to the narrator because I I felt like she was sort of a cipher in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and she didn't have the chance to be filled in as much because there was so much real estate on everything else, like the missing yeah. dad and then totally and then and the work that was going on with her son. Yeah. Yeah. Mia was so strong. I mean, she was just very present. <laughs> yeah. And even though I don't think I am like Mia in certain ways, like I'm I'm not really a cynic all the time. I am probably a little bit like I'm like more like John. I'm a little bit more emotional. Mm. I'm probably the first person to cry when something happens. Like I cried all through this book. I cried when happy stuff happened. I cried when sad stuff happened. <laughs> and it felt good to me. I was I'm not complaining. Angie Kim, thank you. Okay. Like thank you for these tears. Um but I I did still very much relate to those feelings of my mind is doing all these things so like you know the the visual in the book of like you have all this information coming in and then you process it and then you spit out something to the world mm-hmm. and I related mm-hmm. a lot to Mia with that and I did you know I didn't I, like just like Elise said I didn't get to, I wanted more of Hannah so but those moments that we did see of her like holding Eugene and like touching his hair especially you know when she first realized that he would be in trouble and those things Mm. I really I could kind of visualize that and I could put myself in her place um and like that scary feeling like that was those were other times I cried I mean I cried a lot but those are are some specific times totally and that familial instinct to protect your family member it's really beautiful it, it was beautiful and it also did them in in a lot of ways. That's true. Kind of, That's very It kind true. of tripped them up again and again. It was constantly yeah. like, well, had I known now, looking back, I shouldn't have done that. But There was so much of that, which I really love because I think that's really propulsive too. I mean, even the first sentence is like, we didn't call the police right away and we probably should have. And it's like, fuck Angie Kim, I'm going to read the shit out of this book. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> really awesome <laughs> sophomore novel. I loved it. Okay, so before... I let you two go. I would love to know if you have recommendations for other books that you think if someone liked this one, they would also like that. And it could be because of topic or tone or setting or, you know, protagonist. I mean, really yeah. anything at all. What do you think, Elise? Mine is True Biz. Have you read oh, True Biz? so good. Yes, that's a I thought you might say True Biz because True Biz <laughs> is three interlocking characters. It's told from each of the three interlocking characters' points of view. So the chapters change pretty quickly. And it all um, surrounds a deaf community around a school for the deaf in Ohio. And there's also a mystery at the center. And you're also learning about the deaf community and the intricacies of sign language, the various sign languages, the discrimination of this particular community over time these big philosophical questions about like if you can eliminate disability should you um and it is just so well done i loved the characters and it moves quickly so if you haven't gotten to true biz yet read true biz god that's such a great recommendation what do you think ariana (laughs) i know now i'm like wow but i have been really in this kind of romance novel kick and I have not read anything else outside of romance in like months and months and months so because of that I don't have anything as close however I see this book as a love story about family like family community coming together and so Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan um, Mm. I think is a really sweet story about like 
a family. Um, it's about like a couple who was together and it starts with them kind of being separated. But they they kind of tackle some kind of like tough things that cause the couple to separate. And they have like two kids and like the, the daughter is a teen and she's kind of like mad at the mom. So it kind of like hits some of those things and like it shows them like co-parenting. It's one of those books where, you know, you don't hate anybody. Like they're not together, <laughs> but there's no lovely. there's no villain, right? Like mm-hmm, sometimes mm-hmm. life is hard and things happen, and being a family is hard, and we gonna get through it as a family because mm-hmm. we'll always be a family. That's love sweet. It. I love that. I'm gonna do two, but I'm gonna say I'm really fast because I've raved about both of them a million times on this show already. One is Angie Kim's first book, Miracle Creek, which is also excellent and very similarly. Like it's very much about like the lengths a family will go to protect their children. It has a lot of really similar themes and is also extremely propulsive. Great and also, thank you. And also The Country of the Blind by Andrew yes. Leland, which was our August book club pick. And I just can't speak highly enough of like the curiosity that Andrew um, uses as he explores his developing disability. And I think anyone who's found themselves sort of like questioning how they're thinking about that stuff after reading yep. happiness falls would do really well to, to spend a little more time with it. And it's funny and it's just so good. So I can't recommend that one highly enough either. These all sound so good. I'm writing them all down. Yes. yes. I know, right? Ugh. Thank you both for coming on and Ariane, tell Jackson, we say hi. I this will. was just such a pleasure. So thank you. Thank you for hosting. And um, for those who also enjoyed Happiness Falls, I am thrilled to have read it with you. Yes. Thank you for bringing this beautiful book into my life. That they, they gave me beautiful, many, many tears. Many, many tears. <laughs> All right. That's it for this month. Thank you, as always, for reading and listening along. It is such a pleasure to hear from y'all and what you think of these books. It's been really fun, too. A couple of you are, like, catching up on old books and posting about them on Instagram. That is also delightful. We understand we have readers at all different speeds, and that's totally okay. Um, On that note, we have already announced our October pick, of course, because October's next week, which is so wild to me. Our book, speaking of wild, for October is Lauren Groff's The Vaster Wilds. That spoiler-free author conversation will come out a week from today, the first Tuesday in October. And then we will have our discussion on the last Tuesday. So I can't wait for you to hear that one. And then in November... Ding, 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 ding. Here is your announcement for our November book. We are reading The Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Song. I'm really excited for y'all to read this one as well. It just came out today, actually. So it's time. Get on those wait lists. Make it happen. We can't wait for you to read that one along with us, too. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR Network. And our executive producer is Brendan Panzak. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.